Welcome everybody, you're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are, positively different radio in the morning and you are with Lyle and Talia. Talia, so glad to have you here this morning (laughs) on Faith FM radio. Of course, Talia is filling in for Lawson who is... Well, feeling a little off colour. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So considering the current circumstances and the size of our studio, we were like, no, do not <laughs> do not come to work. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit nervous. Uh, it's a bit nerve-wracking with everything that's going on. But, um, yeah, awesome opportunity to be able to come in today. So, Talia, is this your first time ever on radio? Absolutely. <laughs> there you go. So make sure that you text in this morning and give Talia a very special welcome to Faith FM Radio. You're a... You're a Bible worker at the moment? Yes, I am. I Bible work at Raymond Terrace. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Fantastic stuff. So uh, tell me one thing this morning that you are thankful of. Mm. Mm, thinking about uh, it. Well, there's so many things to be thankful for, but I know for a fact that one of the things that I'm really thankful for is just every single day God's providing me with opportunities to be able to do more for Him. I just feel that with so much that I have in my life, that's one of the things that really keeps me going. Like sometimes you get up and you're just like, oh man, I do not want to be up today. But then I remember, I know God's going to give me the opportunity to be able to just share his love with other people. And that just, that really gets me going. It makes me thankful for it. Every that's day. that's absolutely fantastic. And how long did you know that you were going to be doing a radio show today for? Uh, <laughs> for less than 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> so when you talk about waking up in the morning and God giving you a new opportunity to do something, uh, something new for him. Well, there you go. Woke up yesterday morning and, and did not know that you would be doing radio today. <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, that's absolutely amazing. Well, I've got so many things to be thankful for, but yesterday I got I got my yard cleaned up and I've been starting to get pretty ratty, so oh. that was kind of a good thing to be doing. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, let's talk about some positively different news this morning, Talia. What have you got yes. for us? Yes, well, Australian researchers discovered a potentially life-saving treatment for heart attacks inside a very unlikely source, the venom of one of the world's deadliest spiders. Ooh. Yes, a drug candidate developed from a molecule found in the venom of the Fraser Island Kigari funnelweb spider can prevent damage caused by a heart attack as well as extend the life of donor hearts for organ transplants. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. They have a different kind of funnel web on Fraser Island? <laughs> it's Australia. There's so many dangerous animals everywhere. <laughs> I love Fraser Island. You've been to Fraser Island? Yeah, of course. It's the best. Yeah, it's amazing. It's beautiful as well. All and now I find out it's infested with the world's most <laughs> deadly funnel web. Fun times. Okay, Yes, well, the discovery was made by a team led by Professor Peter McDonald from the Victor Chang Cardiac Research Institute in Australia and colleagues at the University of Queensland. McDonald said this incredible result has been decades in the making. Um, He quoted, This will not only help the hundreds of thousands of people who have a heart attack every year, it could also increase the number of quality donor hearts, which will give hope to those waiting on the transplant list. Mm. Hey, so if you're on Fraser Island and you have a heart attack... Well, at least you know that there's a deadly spider there. (laughs) They might be able to just go find one of those spiders real quick. (laughs) Yeah, I just can't... 
Get it, get it in there. Well, it says, after a heart attack, a blood flow to the heart is reduced, resulting in a lack of oxygen to heart muscle. The lack of oxygen causes the cell environment to become acidic, which combined to send a message for heart cells to die. However, by testing the drug candidate, a protein called HI1A, using beating human heart cells exposed to heart attack stresses to see if the drug improved their survival, which they did. The death message is blocked. Cell death is reduced reduced and we see an improved heart cell survival and currently there is no drugs in clinical use that prevent the damage caused by heart attacks so this is great news yeah you're not wrong that's um that's pretty spectacular <laughs> yes usually if the donor heart has stopped beating for more than 30 minutes before retrieval the heart can't be used even if it can buy an extra 10 minutes it could make a huge difference between someone having a heart and someone missing out the small protein in the venom of this spider was shown to market, uh, markedly improve recovery from stroke, amazingly reducing damage to the brain even when it is given up to eight hours after stroke onset. Okay, so here's a question. Here's a question because this is talking about, uh, you know, keeping hearts going obviously after a person has died so that you can donate it to somebody else. Mm, or even when someone has had a heart attack to slow down the results of, of what a yes. normal stroke would cause. Yes, so there's, there's kind of two really good things here. Mm. But the whole organ donor thing, I haven't spoken about organ donors for a while, but it's probably I'm probably due for an organ donor rant. <laughs> Are you an organ donor? Uh, am, I, am I? Well, yes. no, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure I have all my organs intact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, no that's not what I meant. <laughs> have, see, here in Australia, you've got to opt in. Yeah. Um, and I think it should be opt out. I think we should all be automatic uh, organ donors unless we opt out. You know, right. and some people want to opt right. out for religious reasons or whatever. But I think as Christians, we should all be organ donors. We should all tick the organ donor box. Doing what you can for other people, giving yeah. what you don't already can't be using. That's right. If you can't use it, you can't keep using it, so <laughs> let somebody else live. Yeah, that's definitely true. And organ transplant is a very difficult thing in itself. It's a very touchy subject. Everything has to be perfectly fit so that it can fit into somebody else's body. And, you know, with the people that do have um, rare conditions where they can't just take anybody's heart or anybody's liver or kidney or whatever it is that is needed, those people that are, you know, passing away or don't have use for it anymore would be able to help that person. Absolutely, like, absolutely. Transplant. So I think this is this is a fantastic piece of uh, research that they're doing here with funnel web spiders. Mm. Who would have thought? I wonder why it's only the Fraser Island funnel webs. I, w I wonder why the Sydney funnel web. I mean, you he's... have to wonder how it was discovered as well. I mean, do you think someone got bitten and they're just like, oh, you know what? I'm actually fine now. That's that's a really that's a really scary question right there. <laughs> All right, keep going, keep going. Okay, well, this would particularly important in rural uh, is important in rural and remote areas where patients are far from hospitals, where every second counts. This could also allow donor hearts to be transported over longer distances, and therefore increasing the network of available available donors and recipients. The protein has been tested in human heart cells and the team is aiming for human clinical trials for both stroke and heart disease to begin within two to three years, possibly leading to a new way of reversing the damage from heart attacks by using a potent spider-derived antidote. There you go, spider venom. So you're having a heart attack and it's like, well, we're just going to inject you with some spider venom right now. Yes, people feel like Spider-Man. Yeah, I was, gonna, I, was just, uh, I was just about to go there. I was like, sooner or later we're just going to sort of come out of hospital and there'll be, you know. People dressed up in red and white suits. Spider, spider silk coming out of our hands or something or other. Yes. Well, moving on to our next story. We have an Israeli woman that donated a kidney to a three-year-old Palestinian boy in Gaza. When armed conflict is a way of life, a lasting resolution may seem beyond reach. And yet, while small acts of personal courage may not ultimately shape the larger outcome, there are some people on both sides who continue reaching for peace nevertheless. An Israeli kindergarten teacher and mother of three, Edith Harel Segal, 
wanted to do something meaningful for her 50th birthday. Rather than receiving a present, she chose to give one. In memory of her late grandfather, Seagal decided to donate a kidney. So here she is. She's jumping You're on board. You're kidding. And, yeah, it's a great. That is, that is next level right yeah. there. And it's, it just shows wow. like this wonderful and beautiful selfless character of hers. Uh-huh. Mm. Well, the life-saving gift Seagal offered not only aligns with her Jewish faith, but was her way of extending an olive branch as well. Because the kidney recipi- recipient was a three-year-old Palestinian boy from the Gaza Strip. There are a number of strict restrictions in this place, limiting the number of entry permits. The Jerusalem, uh, the Jerusalem-based non-governmental organization Matnat Chaim was able to arrange for the surgical procedure on human and humanitarian grounds. I can never, I can never <laughs> pronounce that word. It is so humanitarian. Difficult. There you humanitarian. go. Humanitarian. There we go. <laughs> With all the pieces in place, the surgery was scheduled for June 16, 2021. But before it took place, Sagal wanted to make sure that the little boy would know just how much giving this particular gift meant to her when he grew older. So she sent him this beautiful letter and it contained saying, you don't know me, you don't understand my language and I don't understand yours, but soon we'll be very close because my kidney will be in your body, she wrote. I hope with all my heart that this surgery will succeed and you will live a long and healthy and meaningful life. In the hospital, Sagal actually met with the little boy and his mother. She sat next to them on his hospital bed and as the mother comforted her son, Sagal actually sang to him until he nodded off. He fell asleep and then I left and I cried. She recorded an interview with the Associated Press. It was really moving. Deep inside, I knew I had done something good. And she admits that her course of action wasn't received with conflict, without conflict within her own family. Her husband, her eldest son and her father initially actually opposed to the plan. But Segal, considering the gesture as the way to best honour the values of the beloved grandfather she'd lost five years earlier, held firm to a decision she says came on the heels of an 11-day outbreak of renewed hostilities. Yeah, that's a, that is an absolutely phenomenal story, and we need to have way more stories like that coming out of Israel and other parts of the Middle East. Yeah, well, I mean, there's so much conflict going on there, so it's already such a stressful situation, and now here we are seeing like the selfless and loving act, and without even realizing, it's you know demonstrating the love of Christ for us. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, another text message that came through on your Funnel Web Spider story. Funnel Web Spider, there you go. Never judge a book by its cover. God is amazing. <laughs> Even a killer spider has saving properties. Ooh. He can use anything and anyone for his glory. And, of course, we've had several people texting in to welcome Talia to the show, her first time ever on radio. She's doing a fantastic job. Thank you. Bible worker from Raymond Terrace. And, uh, yeah, just out there going for it. So good stuff. All right, more serious news. This story comes out of India, in fact, East India, where police have begun to do heavy surveillance on the worst criminals in their community. Wow, that's a bit... The ones that are the most scary and the ones that are going to do the most damage to uh, society in general, otherwise known as Christians. Oh, wow. (laughs) People who believe in... Loving their enemies and loving doing good to people. And being and as kind and selfless as they can. Man, you can't get much scarier than that, you know. Selfless acts and, and love. Oof, that's some scary stuff. Community leaders recently held a rally. Uh, just under 500 people attended the rally. rally. The state president of the BJP Nationalist Party said, let us drag people from their churches and stop conversions at any cost. <laughs> this is pretty over-the-top stuff. <sighs> I 
That's just incredible. I can't believe that. I swear, people people will go out of the way to just try and do a kind thing, and then the world will react as if we've just tried to destroy the world and set it on fire. It's bizarre, and, isn't it? Yeah, and then they start doing that and then say that what they're doing is better for humanity. He went on to say, we will not allow missionary work to be carried on in Bastar Bazcha, and protect our Hindu religion. Well, where do you go right there? Because... Um, I don't know that you could actually say anything about your preferred religion that denigrates it more than to say, well, the only way we can actually protect our religion is to force people from not leaving it. If your religion is so weak (laughs) and so powerless that people want to leave it and you have to force them to stay. You've got to restrain them. You're like you got to put it. Now in. I'm not saying I'm not, you know, I'm not saying this about the Hindu religion. I'm just saying this about what this guy is saying about the Hindu religion. <laughs> you know, that's that's a disaster right there of just, you know, over the top proportions. Yeah, um, now, what was interesting was that at this rally they were expecting somewhere between 10 and 12,000 people to turn up. And when less than 500, the local Christian population kind of Breathed a very large <laughs> sigh of relief, as you can imagine. Uh, but this is this is the situation that we've had in India for quite a number of years now, where they've been conducting aggressive reconversion tactics. Yeah, I see. In the same way, you hear that you hear that analogy where people are like, "Well, if you hold a gun to somebody's head and you're like, marry me, is it really love?" In the same way. You know, exactly. aggressive tactics are not going to, that person is not going to have real faith in their heart. They're just going to be doing it out of fear, which is exactly what Satan tries to instill in people anyway. He wants people to be scared of not worshipping God, that he would inflict punishment on that. When in reality, that is not what it is at all. Everybody has that ability to make free choice. And by taking that away from people, you're taking away the thing that creates love in people. And this is what Satan hates more than anything else is free choice. Mm. Because free choice is what creates the existence of love. And this is why Satan fights so hard against free choice. And this is one of the reasons why we have such um, hard pushes in our world today for controlled thought. Yeah, that's exactly right. They will talk about how it's so restrictive being a Christian because you're not allowed to do certain things, but the things that they're actually participating in are chains themselves. Yes, because they will con- the, the push in our world today is to control what you think. Now, of mm. course, you can't control what a person thinks because uh, God has given us this thing called freedom of choice because yeah. he's a God of love and he wants us to be able to love and to experience love and yeah. love is amazing. Yeah, exactly. And so you can't change the way a person thinks. You can change what they look like or mm. what they sound like on the outside, but you can't change what's going on on the inside. And so when you're trying to have these forced reconversions, whenever you have a push for controlled thought, yeah. you have... Massive amounts of bloodshed because that's the only way you can actually control what a person is is, is just kill everybody who doesn't think the same as you. Yeah, and in that way, it's because people are so frightened that they can't control other people that they try to control their circumstances and push them into places where they're like, well, I can control this place and I can control this, this situation and therefore I control the people and the people in it are just trying to fight back and rebel, and they go, see, look at what they're doing. Look at what they're doing. They're so aggressive, but they're only reacting that way because of the situation that they've been pressured into. In that same way, when people are facing oppression, the most important thing that we can do is just demonstrate God's love through everything that we do, despite the way that they view us or the way that they treat us or the things that they say about us, because otherwise 
we're doing exactly what they've, <laughs> they've accused us of doing by saying that we're violent and aggressive people, you know, when people want to say to you, you know, Lyle, um, you know, oh, you're such a horrible Christian. You're so rude. You're trying to control and manipulate everybody. The best thing that you can just do is go, I'm sorry that you feel that way, <laughs> but I, I hope you have a good day today, you know, and in that way, they'll still try and twist your words and be like, you hope I have a good day? Wow, that's just, don't don't manipulate me, you know, I'm trying to have my, you just, sometimes you can't fight against things like that, you just got to accept that some it, people have that it, kind it, of mindset. It is absolutely bizarre, and if we look at the recent history of our world, if we look at, if we look at modern history, con- controlled thought is, you know, has resulted in, in, in the last hundred years, you know, in the communist regimes and so mm-hmm. forth, which is where you have contro- probably the, 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 the worst um, efforts towards controlled thought. You've had over 100 million people die yeah. because and, they're trying to control yeah, the way people... And, and because they can't control what you think, they kill everyone who doesn't think the same as what they do. Yeah, it just installs fear so people have to pretend that they feel the same way. And this isn't a country, by the way. This isn't India right now. We're only 2.5% of the population are Christian. You know, are they really afraid that Hinduism, which is 80% of the population, is going to just vanish? Like, oh, I, it's just it's going to disappear because of Christianity? This is a country that, that um, stripped citizenship from like 2 million Muslims. Just stripped <laughs> them of their citizenship. You know, I mean, this is, this is bizarre You've got to wonder how things even pass by, how people can look at this and go, how is this allowed? How is this okay? And the thing that boggles my mind is why do we do nothing about it? You know, mm. we often hear, you know, countries like Australia or the United States who tend, who pretend to be, you know, bastions of liberty and freedom standing up a bit against these kind of countries and, and doing something that will... Um, you know, sanctions or put some pressure on them or at least have, you know, the State Department talk to them. But the United States State Department has even refused to list India. It's it's the 10th worst country in the world for religious liberty. Um, It has refused to list India even as a country of particular concern. What? That's ridiculous. Won't won't even list them as a country of particular concern. Well, you have to be concerned if they think that 2% of the population is going to overthrow the 80%. I mean, even in that way, isn't that just a demonstration of how powerful God is that... That the two two and a half percent can be such a threat. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, That's well, awesome. It just demonstrates like, like it, they don't realize that what they're doing is just proving to everybody that God is somebody who should be feared and who should be respected and loved because He is so great and Almighty. Okay, so uh, in 2021, so this year to date, there have been 145 atrocities against Christians. Uh, these are things that include things like murder, uh, police collusion. Uh, so that the Hindus know that they can uh, act with impunity against Christianity, attacks on churches, false criminal accusations, social exclusion, uh, boycott, the list could go on and on. Um, And the BJP is stating that to be Indian is to be Hindu. And so if you are not Indian, then you are not... Sorry, if you are not Hindu, then you are not actually an Indian, so you don't deserve to have citizenship. You don't deserve to be a part of the country. And Taking to be defined by your religion to a new level. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? And you know what? We need to we need to see what is happening in other worlds. We need to we need to do what we can to you know particularly pray for India and the situation over there because that is some really serious stuff that is going on. Yeah. We need to keep these people in our prayers, and we also need to think about whether this could happen in our country because we see religious liberty just sort of vanishing. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. 
Okay, so joining us on the phone this morning is somebody who has quite a remarkable journey of faith. Uh, Antonio, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lyle. Um, thanks to, to the uh, producers of the program, uh, to you, to your listeners as well. Antonio, just um, listening to you right there, and of course we spoke briefly yesterday. You've got a bit of an accent, so you don't sound like you were born in this country. What country did you originally come from? Yeah, up to a while ago, I thought that I didn't have any accent, but I, I realized that I do, especially when people hear me for the first time, I, I realize that I do have a, an accent. And my accent comes come from the Americas, uh, from the part of America that doesn't speak English, obviously. Ah, so, so yes. South America and, and, uh, and uh, specifically from Chile. Okay, so you come from Chile. Um, tell me, we're just going to travel a little bit this morning through your journey of faith as a young person growing up in Chile. Uh, did you grow up in a religious home, a Christian home? What was what was your background? Nominally, uh, everybody is born uh, like a Catholic in, in Chile, uh, which doesn't mean that, uh, you know, the... the, the, the the environment, the culture, and everything influence whatever you you grow up with in terms of belief. So um, by saying this, um, uh, my mother was a strong um, Catholic. My father not so much, and my family in general were sort of, uh, as I said before, just nominal, uh, like many others, uh, nominal Catholic. Sure. So this is... Something like you get baptized when you're young, you go to church, you know, several times a year, maybe something like that. All, all that, um, but I, uh, in a way, possibly was a little bit different to my my siblings, to my brother and, and sister. I I would go with my mom. I would go to to mass um, with my mom, maybe until I was sort of eleven or twelve. Um, then I stopped all that. Uh, and she continued to do that, but I, I, I did stop and, uh, and not for any uh, sort of uh, specific reason, but I just let it go and uh, I thought it was not that relevant at that time. Sure. That time now, now when, when you were going through that experience, you, you're 11, 12 years old, you sort of stopped going to church, did you maintain a belief in God or did that wane as well? Look, I, I always thought that um, God, uh, even if it wasn't God the way uh, I, I I know it now, and I admit that um, knowing God is a major thing. Uh, possibly we think now that we do know God, and possibly we don't even know Him the way He He really is. But uh, in this uh, sort of uh, comparison, uh, at that time, possibly. Um, I believe in, in 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 a supreme being, and uh, even if I wasn't uh, then from that age on, um, possibly not not admitting that uh, this uh, supreme being was what I call now God. Sure, yeah. sure, yeah. Now, did 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 your you know your family upbringing? Um, I guess your Roman Catholic background, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, did that instill in you? Do you do you feel like that that sort of gave you you know good morals, um, a desire to care for other people, um, you know, just generally 
a, a, a solid moral foundation on which to be a good person in society? Sure. I think I think that uh, uh, somehow did uh, influence uh, my my upbringing. But uh, uh, nowadays, I do also understand that um, God in His great um, mercy and, and compassion and the way of wishing people, like um, you know, the Bible um, mentioned, is uh, many that admit to believing God and not as compassionate as some others that don't admit to believing God, but, but they express and, uh, the love uh, of God in ways that uh, are remarkable. You know, they're very compassionate, and they, they simply don't admit to believing God, but they, they show in their um, journey and, and in their life that they do have an understanding of, of God that is, uh, is quite remarkable. Mm. Mm. Now, Antonio, you, 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 we we need to move on with your um, with your story because sure. at some particular point you ended up here in Australia, and I understand that there's quite a story as to how you ended up coming to Australia. Can you can you run us through that that story? Yeah, um, briefly, I could say you know in, in the seventies, uh, Chile was a very um, uh, political um, um, sort of uh, a country in, in sort of a crisis. Uh, it's, it's a sort of phenomenon that attracted the, the view of every people, every person that was, uh, and every country really, that was um, trying to understand the Chilean uh, process and the Chilean uh, journey in, in his uh, life, in his life. Um, uh, um, because uh, Chile at that time in the 70s uh, became a socialist, a socialist country by uh, popular will, popular desire. And that uh, was quite remarkable, remarkable and very um, dangerous for USA country because they saw, you know, in their backyard, a country that was uh, leaning towards uh, socialism, but this this very unique time in history of many, so many other experiences uh, was coming through popular vote, you know, in, in the prime of uh, constitution and everything. So, so it was quite remarkable. And in that, uh, every young people, I was at university at that time, and everybody was uh, sort of somehow engaged and, and not um, immune of the influence of this movement. And um, in a way that um, sort of um, created for me and for many others problems later on because, um, yeah, um, the the rich people that uh, used to have the power in the country plus uh, others that were doing business with with Chile so that um, this experience was not going to be good for their benefits and they ended up plotting and uh, to make a story short, on the 9th of 11, the 11th of September, which is a, <coughs> sorry, is a day that is being repeated in history, as you know, um, created a climax that uh, um, ended up in the killing of uh, thousands of people in the street, more, much more than uh, what happened in the USA um, years later, in the same uh, sort of um, day and and. And sort of day nine of eleven. 
So yeah, that's um, that's the the situation. I, I ended up in a in a very deep uh, lockdown, <laughs> which was very it's uh, uh, hard to say and and mention these days. You know, uh, the the jail system at the time to be uh, recognized a political prisoner in those days was the most safe uh, thing that could happen to someone that uh, was um, supporting this um, this um, government, uh, you know, that was overthrown. Because, um, uh, you know, in the street, uh, you could simply disappear and they would never find you. So, so yeah, that's, that's a bit of a um, struggle. So I do know a bit what it means to be in lockdown mode. Yeah, so just, I guess, to uh, for those who may not be entirely familiar with the history of Chile, you had, uh, I, I believe it was uh, Salvador uh, Allende who was duly elected um, with, yeah. as, as a socialist government, and then you had a coup, I understand, uh, as Augusto Pinochet came in, and sure. that resulted in a lot of people who, you know, thousands of people who were just disappeared, um, and then a lot of people who ended up in... In uh, as you say, a much bigger lockdown than what we have here in Newcastle, right down. Um, sure. How long? How long did you spend? How long did you spend in in uh, jail as a political prisoner for? Yes, three years. Three years. Three, and three what, years. what exactly was it? What what event was there? A particular event, or was there, uh, or were you just sort of round, randomly rounded up and targeted to be thrown into jail, or you know, was there a rally or something rather where you were arrested? What? How did you end up being no, arrested? No, I, I was part of this um, uh, political movement, even if I wasn't part of the government. I, uh, I was part of a, coali- uh, a coalition of somebody from outside the coalition, but uh, supporting this government that uh, that was bringing um, um, deep uh, changes that would benefit the country. And um, But then, um, uh, I mean, yeah, my name, it was in, in there it, as part of an organization like a uh, if um, today we link this to what we think is going to be persecution these days, I would I have no way of denying, I hope, of my affiliation with uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So if a persecution arises or breaks out, you know, it would be a similar thing. I, I, would, I would be part of, of it, and I, I hope it, it would be... Um, sufficient uh, uh, information that I I do belong to to God uh, God uh, people. Mm, so, yeah. Similar situation, similar comparison, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah, Antonio. Antonio, you do the three years in in prison as a political prisoner. Um, after you get out of prison, I guess there's two big events that take place in your life, maybe three. Um, one of them being that. Uh, you give your life to Jesus Christ, and the second being that you end up here in Australia. Can you tell us that story? Sure. Let me just uh, think or tell you that um, while I was still in, in jail um, and being part of that, I would never, never even dare to curse God for what was happening to me. Even if I wasn't a, a, a sort of a believer, I still was very respectful of uh, God, and I thought, uh, you know, what is happening is unfair, uh, but I would not blame God for that. 
Anyhow, uh, many years passed by, I got out of uh, that and, uh, and then I went back to uni. I, I ended up finishing uh, university only to find out that uh, my name was uh, very signed with, uh, with um, uh, sort of a political order there that, um, that would not let me find uh, work or that. So I had to resort to a hobby of mine, which was uh, photography. And uh, we live uh, with uh, photography um, quite comfortably, actually, because of uh, something that I did uh, there. Um, and um, so, but I couldn't find uh, work in, in my, my profession or I couldn't find um, any, uh, no stable work. And, and then uh, while in jail, I had an offer to go to Germany or to England. Um, because that was the, the, the road for the people that were in jail at the time, you know, uh, to go in exilement to the countries that offer that possibility, and Germany and, and England was a couple of those. I never thought of coming to Australia until years later, because by 1986, you know, when the, our um, situation in Chile was very um, unstable in, in respect of... Um, work and and so I have to still be relying on my own my own uh, uh, my own work um, then it was an offer to come to Australia and I thought okay let's go and uh, I said to my wife and she said okay let's go she thought and it was never going to happen she didn't want to leave the country actually so <laughs> that's something a bit uh, strange because many people would have loved to live by that situation there, but she didn't. And uh, for a couple of years in here, when we came in July of 1986, she was um, thinking, oh, this is, this. why did we come here? And she blamed me for a couple of years, actually. <laughs> until, after, until after that, uh, she thought, okay, we're going to live here now. I think I should uh, put my act together and just uh, make this to, to happen and, and become a more harmonious uh, way of living. So from then on, a few years passed by until somebody in here in the work, I was working for an engineering place uh, called um, Valley Engineering and in Carrington. Um, it was a large company and somebody there Somebody was reading a book, and I said um, to him, "What are you reading, um, uh, Paul? I think was his name. What are you reading, Paul?" And he said, mm, "I'm not telling you actually, but uh, this book will be used tomorrow because I'm finishing. And just a couple couple of days tomorrow, a couple of days I will, will finish this book, and then it will be used, and then you can find out what I'm reading." And I said, "Well, okay, it's fine." And he, a couple of days after, he, he gave me the book, and I started reading this book. And, uh, you know, everything that I was reading was uh, making sense, because uh, for a few uh, years before, I was wondering, you know, of, of more profound questions, and, uh, and was what I believed before was the answer for um, everything. It possibly was the answer for a few things, but not for everything that uh, was, uh, you know, um, just um, blowing my mind a little bit. So I read this book, and then um, it was 
the great controversy, the great, com- the great conflict, or the, you know, the great controversy, basically. El Gran Conflicto. Yeah. <laughs> and then the controversy came to home because, uh, because my wife, that was always uh, since a child, uh, a Christian, she said, oh, that must be a book from the Seventh-day Adventist people, or the people, of, well, you know, and uh, what do they know exactly, uh, and all that, and I'm going to bring my pastor here. And um, so she did, and uh, the pastor came, and uh, I said, um, he, he sort of um, admitted because of the Sabbath issue was there, and uh, I expressed it to him, and I said, look, I, I just made reading, 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 the more I read here, and uh, then I checked with the Bible, uh, that's what it says, that the Sabbath day is very important in God's view, and, and then um, basically, um, you know, he admitted, you know, yeah, the Sabbath day is, is, is there, but we cannot, we cannot revert back to it. Uh, it would be impossible for us to go back to that. And, um, and I said, well, that's fine with me, you know, but in order that I would study the Bible with you or, or find out more, it, it won't happen because you are admitting to me that part of what is there, you don't accept it or you don't, even if you do, you don't think it's, it's feasible now. So, and that sort of um, made a, a sort of turning point in the whole family because the family was going for, for many years to church and, you know, my young children uh, with my wife, I would take them to church. I would not get into the church. I would not, uh, they would um, approach me, look, uh, Antonio, we have um, we have um, sort of a weekend a camping site. We go into the whole church. Why don't you come? And I said, look, uh, I'm not part of your church. I'm not willing to go and, and, and use facilities or, or, or time or, something that I don't believe and I don't, I'm not part of it. I'm willing to take my family there and all that. And, but uh, I, I don't see it as a very moral thing. Mm, Antonio, you know, Antonio I, I, hate to, I hate to butt in, but um, it's a fantastic story that you've uh, been able to share with us this morning. And for, unfortunately, we're out of time because we do need to go to the 8 o'clock news. But uh, thank you so much for coming on to the show this morning and, and, and sharing your testimony of, of how you gave your life to Jesus Christ and how your life was turned around. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.